Hi, this is Chantel Schieffer, President and CEO of Leadership Montana. Views and opinions shared by guests of Listen First Montana do not reflect the opinions of all of our alumni or organization. We are a large group with lots of opinions, believe me. If you hear something that makes you uncomfortable, we invite you to listen deeply, listen hard, and listen first. Hello, I'm Chantel Schieffer, and this is Listen First Montana, a podcast of Leadership Montana. Today, we are in Billings, and our guest is Dusty Eaton. Dusty is an alum of our class of 2018 and an architect here in Billings. He earned his master's degree from Montana State University in 2006 and joined A&E Architects that same year. Due to his exceptional design abilities and strong leadership skills, Dusty became A&E's youngest partner in 2012. His passion for innovation and zeal for challenging the status quo inspires his coworkers, and as a result, he was promoted to CEO in 2017, just five years after becoming partner. Dusty, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chantel. Glad to be here. We're glad to have you. Dusty, tell us more about A&E. So A&E is a multidisciplinary design practice. So we focus on, we've historically been an architecture firm, and that's how most people know us. But we've actually started to really um, rethink what design means. And architecture, I think, is often put in this perfect box and said, this is what we do. And we've actually started to really break that barrier down to realize that design, solving design challenges comes in a lot of different mediums. And when we start to think about, we, we were realizing that our clients were coming to us with an architecture problem was only a small piece of what they were actually needing to solve. And so we have started to think more holistically about what design is and how we solve creative and wide-reaching design challenges. So through design thinking and through starting to really push on what design means, we've, we've started to um, solve and, and take on these design problems that, are, that include graphic design and branding and website development and architecture and especially the fusion of all of those. So a, a great example is um, somebody comes to us and says, I need a, we're starting this new restaurant and here's the, you know, here's our site. And so we're designing the space, we're, we're creating the concept, we're designing the architecture, but we're also building a brand with our branding team and we're doing the graphics and the environmental graphics in the space and we might be building their website with our web development team. And so we're really starting to think about all of the touch points that their clients are going to have and how we create a consistently high level of design for their customers, right? So right now we're working on a good example is we're working on a brewery here in Billings where we're designing the space, we're doing the furniture design, we're designing all of their beer can labels and building their graphics and doing their marketing and it all creates this really great consistency among the design work from the beer can label that someone might pick up in a grocery store to somebody walking in and experiencing the space. We're really designing all of that. So you end up with this really great and consistent design touch point. It's what we found, Chantel, and I'm obviously very passionate about this because we found there's there's very few people doing this, right? Like starting to think about, it's not just an architecture problem, it's a design problem. And yeah, big part of that is architecture, but there's also these other elements that can come into play. They may not, we have many projects that are purely you know, traditional architecture. And we have many that are just a graphic design challenge, building a, a brand for somebody. But there's also these that they fuse together and that's where there's some really cool sparks that start to happen. So is there anything you can't do? <laughs> well, we, we actually, so the, the, um, the magic actually happens when we bring different minds together. So we, we talk a lot about um, this, un, the unique innovators that we have here are not just architects, right? We have a lot of architects, but we have graphic designers, we have creative writing, we have web develop, development, we have marketing. So all of those start to, if, if, if I bring a graphic designer to an architecture problem, he looks at it differently, right? Or if I bring 
our web developer to um, a graphic design challenge, she looks at it completely differently and she's thinking about the, the impact of how we might build that on the web. And then you have our base of architects. And so it's just really about creative minds coming together to, to solve interesting problems in better ways because we all bring a unique perspective to the, to the challenge. Sounds a lot like what we, what we do at Leadership Montana, bringing different perspectives together to address challenges and opportunities. There's a lot of parallels there. Yeah. I like that. And I love that we've built a culture of Leadership Montana here at A&E. Mm-hmm. You've got a number of graduates of our program here. Yeah, we've really made it a priority to continue to invest in Leadership Montana. It's an important organization in, in this region, and it really ties closely to our internal philosophy and my personal philosophy around building leaders. And if we can build leaders, we can solve a lot of problems. And oftentimes we need to start right here in our communities and in our state to build those leaders. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about investing in infrastructure, and that includes this building. Can you tell us a little bit about the changes that this building went through? Yeah, this building, so we're, we're sitting right in the heart of downtown Billings, and this was the first YMCA in Montana. So just this incredibly significant building, really rich history, and it was actually sitting vacant. Um, it had a lot of lives over over um, many years in the past, and it's been everything from starting as a YMCA with a swimming pool and running track to um, several different drugstores. Many people come tell me that are in their 70s remember as a kid being in, uh, in the drugstore. And then uh, most recently, a lot of people remember it as the downtown Wendy's restaurant. And so we, we uh, with a group of partners, purchased the building and we renovated the entire thing. So one of the, one of the big drivers, we're just big believers in downtown. And so all of our offices across the state are in the heart of downtown in the community that we're in. And one of the big uh, goals for downtown buildings is to increase living, more, more living units. So we, as we renovated this building, we started to think about how should we be, where should our space be in this building and what else should we have? Should it be office or, and we decided that um, downtown kind of urban lofts was a real important factor for moving downtown buildings forward. So we have two floors of these just beautiful urban lofts, tall ceilings, brick walls um, that are that are full. We have great demand for them. And then we have the rest of the space and one tenant at the end that has really been, it's been transformational for us. To We were in a tight space before. This provided opportunities for more collaboration and bigger spaces, more opportunities to grow. And we, we just, uh, when we commit to being in a community, we believe in investing heavily in that community. That leads me to my next question about investing in downtown Billings. You and I have had this conversation before about your passion around um, ensuring that this is a growing and thriving community. Tell me more about where that passion comes from for you. Well, I'm, uh, I was born and raised in Billings, and I've had the opportunity to, to travel the world and also to work uh, and see a lot of different communities and seeing kind of all ends of the spectrum when it comes to what a thriving community looks like. And I once heard a urban designer describe a successful downtown as one that is busy on a Sunday. I thought, what a great, what a great description. A downtown, we've all experienced those downtowns that are just booming on a Sunday and then many that are not. And what a Sunday can feel like in a in a downtown that this still, you know, has room to grow. And I've always thought about that. And I've thought about the value that we place on a downtown really defines a community, the density, the opportunity, the, the real heart of any community is, is the downtown. And so how we, how we start to shape that, we all have an influence on it, right? And every decision that we make, the decision of where we're going to build our office and what we're going where we're going to draw people is a decision that we make as leaders in the community to have a it's it's a small change but it is a change right and so we took this very important intersection of downtown and we said if we're going to be down here we we want to actually not be the kind of business that's boarded up on the weekends that's closed that after five o'clock no one knows we're here so we 
took that next step to say we're going to to really invest. So we are um, on the Art Walk every every Friday's Art Walk throughout the season. We're a, a host location. We're part of the downtown events from trick or treating to the Christmas stroll, and those are important events to say we're not just going to be here. We want to be a part of the fabric of downtown. Oh, that's great. I've had a, a, the pleasure of having a Leadership Montana event here. It's a beautiful space to, to host parties. Thank you. Um, so what's, how have you seen the, the community change, and, and where would you like to see change continue? I think an important area for, for Billings, and, and really for the state of Montana, is to be able to attract young professional talent, to pull that talent back. And some of our greatest hires over the past few years have been young families that have left the state. They have, oftentimes they were either from Montana or they may have um, studied here in Montana and then they left and they went to an urban location. They've been there for five to 10 years. They have a young family and now they wanna be back in Montana. We get that a lot. And some of those, there's just incredible talent and we have to be a, a, a city and a state that we can attract that talent back to. And I think when we can do that, it really starts to have a, a compounding kind of ripple effect, right? When we can bring youth and energy, people that are um, inspired to, to make change and to invest in the community and want to see that kind of, um, that kind of change happen, they're going to commit to it, and, but we've got to get them here. We've got to get, we've got to get that young talent to come back to Montana and to see that value and to see why they would want to live here, and then make that commitment. What do you think is keeping those folks from coming back to Montana? So I think there's a um, opportunity. I think there's also a perception that um, they can't realize the same kind of job, the same kind of pay, the same kind of um, growth potential in Montana that they can in a, in a bigger city, in another location. And I've really, so I, I actually um, was right on the cusp. We, we were planning to leave Montana after, after graduating and um, working for a couple of years. We, my wife and I had a, we had jobs. We were on the move. We were ready to, to move to a, an urban location. And um, we, we really wrestled with this decision and it was incredibly tough and we went back and forth and ultimately decided for, for many reasons that this was where we wanted to be. And if we were going to be here, we were really going to invest and we were going to be, make sure that we could see the same kind of opportunities here that we would elsewhere. And I've seen that I've, I've been able to experience that. And I've realized that there is, you're not more limited by being in Montana. You just may have to get a little bit more creative about how you how you approach it. Another comment on that that I find really interesting over the last few months is I've seen Montana become a destination that it may not have been fully seen as prior to the pandemic. And that's been, we have a tremendous amount of work right now tied to people moving to Montana because it's seen as a great place to be now, right? The, the kind of vacating more urban areas and coming to Montana. We've, we have seen a lot of new work come from that. It's really interesting. In just a sh few short months, right? A few short months. How does that, how do you feel about that for the future of you know, planning this sort of influx of, of folks moving to Montana? Yeah, I think we have to be intentional. I think we have to, you know, I think the first step is simply being aware of it, right? We know that this is, we're starting to see this happening. So now how do we make sure we're thoughtful about the growth? How do we make sure that we, we plan accordingly and, but also that we leverage the opportunity because now we've got talent that has this desire. I have four different friends that lived in urban areas. Other, a recent friend of mine just from San Francisco is moving back two billings because of this and said, I can't do it anymore. I don't, I can't handle the density. This was the tipping point to be back in Montana. He is a, a incredibly talented computer programmer who is now going to be working remote and starting a division of the company he was working for right here in Billings, a really innovative tech company that said, yeah, go and let's build from there. Right? Because everybody, has gotten more flexible about working remotely. They've become more adaptable to that kind of 
thing. And so suddenly Montana becomes very attractive. Let's talk a little bit more about Montana as a state and talk a little bit about opportunities. Let's let me ask you what you consider to be a great challenge that Montana is facing right now. You know, I'm, I'm going to come back to this ability to, I would say, kind of recognize who we are as a state and then and flip that to the opportunity is Montana has a brand and it has a brand that needs to be leveraged, that needs to, we need to really think about and see the opportunity and Montana has got this great attraction, this kind of magnet for, hey, you should come here for a trip, right? It's this like kind of tourist destination that is seen as a great opportunity for two weeks and less so as maybe an opportunity to live here and how we start to flip that, that conversation and start to use the brand of that Montana has because it's very unique. It's really unlike any other state. Montana has this brand that I think has to be, um, that we don't, we, I don't, I just don't think we've fully taken advantage of that. So what would you say to someone who wants to just kind of close off Montana, keep Montana to ourselves? Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot of bumper stickers that say, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think it's short-sighted, honestly. I think it's short-sighted. I think you have to, you have to be more forward thinking than that. Like, we, yeah, we can always stay status quo, but is that really best for quality of life? Is that best for innovation? Is that best for taking advantage of the talent that's sitting right here? If we close off what we have and preserve it, in a sense, we're, we're not taking advantage of, of the opportunity that's before us. Now that comes with being intentional and being careful and being thoughtful about how we develop across this beautiful state, right? It's, we have to be, we have to make sure that we're being smart about it, but that certainly should not limit the growth and attraction to the state. So, so thinking about intentional development and the work that you do here at A&E, do you have examples of success stories in that intentionality? Yeah, we you know, one of the most sustainable things that, that you can do is redevelop a historic building, for example. And that's a big, we, we, we have a um, wide range of work that we do. And one area that we, that really kind of stands out for us, that's we're, we're, re- we're recognized nationally for time and time again is our historic preservation. So that's an area that we say, you know, we've got this building that we're sitting in is a great example of here's a building that is sitting completely vacant that really needs new life breathed into it. How do you take that and use it? How do you take the infrastructure that's already been invested in and it's sitting there and start to think more about infill development as opposed to how far out we can sprawl? That's, that's, one, that's one way to simply preserve what's here but enhance it and create something new from it. you about working with Montana State University. Um, we were on campus when you were in Leadership Montana class um, and we were walking across campus and I asked you, how many of these buildings has a been a part of? And you kind of pointed out several. Tell me what that partnership has been like for, for your company. Yeah, the, the collaboration with, with Montana State is one of my favorites. I mean, they've been a, just an incredible partner and a, and a long-term client of ours that that I often quietly say they're they're my favorite to work with just because um, we're, we're, this is going to be public yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're innovative you know they they just they're working at a university um, at Montana State and at the University of Montana um, and a lot of the other universities around or colleges around the state that we're working with they have this mindset that's what can we do to push the envelope? How do we create something that has yet to be created? And um, that, that for us as just foundational start to a project is, is so invigorating. It's, it's what we strive to do is we're constantly thinking about improving lives through the work we do, you know, enhance, you know, like reflecting 
um, the possibility and the innovation through space and through creating that kind of space. And so the, our recent project there, the Norm as Bjornsson Hall, the um, Norm himself was a really active part of that project. And that new College of Engineering building has um, won many awards and, and been nationally recognized for doing just that, for being innovative. And, and that, you know, the credit to that for that goes to Norm when we started that project. He sat the whole team down and he said that this will be a project that will push to the point of failure and I will not stand for anything less. I want this team to push and to push and to push and I, you will fail in this process and I am okay with that. You need to fail fast, you need to keep moving, we need to recalibrate, but I do not want the status quo. I don't want anything that's been done before. I want to challenge this team to challenge me and push me beyond my comfort zone to deliver something that will change the way engineering is taught forever. And I thought, wow, what a, I mean, what an inspirational launch to a project. And the university and our design team embraced that message from Norm and said, that you know, challenge accepted right now, how do we do that? So it's a, it's a facility that in the end, the, the university and Norm would say it, it did exactly that. It's really been innovative for, for MSU and for those students. One of my favorite themes in leadership is that we have to fail. Leaders always find opportunities to fail, right? What's, what is uh, maybe an example of what failure looked like on this project? Yeah, we, so at a &E, we talk a lot about fail fast. I, I love this idea of fail fast, test, fail fast. And so, so a great example for that project is when, when we started, there were a lot of preconceived ideas about from, from many different um, entities involved in the project about what this had to be. And as we went along, there were, there were times where we came with something that wasn't expected and initially might be seen as a failure. Like, wait a minute, we had this in mind and that's not what you brought, right? That's not part of this design iteration is what we thought it might look like or where it should live on the site or how it's going to address the sidewalk or how it's going to, um, encourage cross-disciplinary collaboration among other colleges. So all of these elements that, you know, everybody naturally comes with a preconceived idea about what this building might look like, how it might fit, what, what the materials might be on it. And so each time we have one of those, there was this moment of, have we, have we failed or has somebody as that's a part of the process? Do they feel that we have failed? And, but we all had to push through that, right? We all had to challenge that to be to a point of discomfort and to where we were all out of our, out of our comfort element, but it ultimately resulted in something better. So tell me about a favorite project or two that you're working on now. So, um, that's always a tough question because there's some really, really impactful projects. Norm, uh, staying with him for a, for a moment, he is probably one of the most forward thinking individuals I've ever met. And he, at his age, in his eighties, believes in the value of investing in a community and giving back. And he always has told me, if you're, if you're in a position fortunate enough to give back, that is your first obligation. That's your first obligation to the next generation is to give back. And so we are now working on a project with Norm for his hometown in Winifred, Montana doing a remarkable, it's essentially a new school for the students there. And this will be one of the most incredible educational facilities in the region without question. And it is Norm's vision. It is Norm funding the project. And he called me uh, about a year ago and said, you did such an exceptional job on this pro on my building at MSU. Now we're taking that innovation to Winifred. And I said, okay, what, what are we doing in Winifred? And he's, it started as a, as a um, science, technology, engineering, art, and math wing, a STEAM wing to the school, and it has blossomed into a, an entirely new facility for Winifred. And his working with Norm and seeing his passion for 
giving back and philanthropy and investing in students and education is so inspiring to me. And it really has been, um, it's been life-changing. Honestly, it's been a really life-changing experience to work with him. So that's been, that's been a fun one. And we're also um, currently working on a new, completely new airport for Missoula International Airport. Uh, and that's been, that, uh, projects of that scale just have such an impact in, in our communities. And we start thinking about the drawing, the, the destination that um, a community like Missoula can become and the importance of a, an airport facility that reflects that and reflects the community. And so that's been a, that's been a really um, incredible opportunity as well. So going back to the example in, in Winifred, what does that kind of impact mean for that community? It's Norm's vision for that is this school will become a destination to draw commerce, to draw um, an increase in population. It, it, it really becomes the heart of the community. I always say um, when we're dealing with educational projects, there is no greater building in a community there's no civic greater civic building than a school right everything happens in a school from from educating our students to after after school events and sports and then you you amplify that in a really small community it truly is the heart of the school so in addition to the educational space this facility will have a world-class fitness for the community fitness areas it'll have a running track around this new gym it has indoor areas because it's really cold in Winifred and it's uh, a place for the community to gather. It's a place to go. It's a place that they can have a lecture. So now all of a sudden you have a facility that can accommodate that in a small community that they didn't otherwise have. It's a, it's a game changer. I know our listeners can't, can't see Dusty light up when he talks about architecture, but I can attest that um, he, he is very passionate about this, and you can just see it in his face. Dusty, I, I, I've seen the same look in you when you talk about um, your family. Let's talk about your family for a little bit. Um, I want to start with what you and your parents um, created out of challenge, the opportunity that you created out of challenge that is United Love. Yeah, this one's always a... It's a hard, it's a hard thing to talk about, and it's also incredibly rewarding. So, um, when when my brother was in 2013, I lost my brother to a very rare cancer. It's um, a synovial cell sarcoma. It's a tumor in his hip. He was 26 years old, and he fought a long battle. Um, it was really unthinkable. It's something that. He was having some pain in his hip, and he went to several doctors who kind of downplayed it and finally got a diagnosis, and it's that moment that you just stops you cold. You, you, it's the moment that I always say it feels like the one that happens to somebody else, right? It never is going to actually happen to you. It's, it, it's going to happen to somebody else, and here we were staring down that, that barrel, and so after so through that process of spending hours and days in hospital beds around the country looking for specialized treatments, uh, he met a young man in Seattle who was an Eskimo who had come down from Alaska for a similar um, really unique treatment that he was receiving, and his family couldn't afford to travel with him. And he was in the room next to my brother, Ryan, and he was sitting there by himself for days. And my brother had this incredibly big heart and he was way more worried about this kid in the next room than he was about himself. And he kept asking my family, has anybody, has anybody been to his room? Has anybody checked on, on this kid? And nobody had, nobody had, had been there and he was by himself and he couldn't afford any technology, any means to stay connected with his family. So every few days they would call on a hospital phone and my brother was sitting there with an iPad and he realized at that moment the impact that a device as simple as an iPad had on his experience. Right? He was staying connected to friends, he was FaceTiming, he was um, 
anything to distract from what was really happening in, in your time in a hospital bed, create that distraction. And he was a graphic designer. My brother had finished um, his degree in graphic design, and he had, as his thesis project, was starting a company that he called United Love, L-U-V. And he turned to my parents and said, I've got, I've got it. This, I am going to pivot United Love to be a nonprofit, and I want to help other cancer patients. That's my goal. That, that will be more impactful than anything else I could do in my life. And he felt that there's so many dollars going to cancer research and all of these other really important facets to solving the cancer challenge. But from his perspective, he said, there's very few that focus on the patient that is tangible today, have a positive impact today. And he thought if, if somebody did that for me, it would be a game changer for my experience right now. So with that, he started to think about what United Love could do. What, how could we help cancer patients? And it started with maybe we could, maybe we could buy him a gift card or some, uh, you know, we could get him dinner and take out or, you know, some of these really small gestures that might just give him that glimmer of, of hope and happiness. And it soon grew into what if we could give an iPad? And he said, could you imagine if we could sell enough of my graphic design shirts, this kind of start this, it was a t-shirt design business. Imagine if we could sell enough shirts to where we could give one iPad away. And just a few months after that, Ryan passed away. And within the coming days, my dad said, he got our family together and said, we are gonna print Ryan's designs on shirts and hats and we're gonna carry this forward. This, we need to do this for him. And we did, and we took this forward, and we have poured ourselves into United Love. And this organization has given away over 500 iPads today, and we've done so around the entire country. So we've taken iPads to St. Jude's, we've covered every hospital and treatment center in Montana that we can think of, with many of them we've been back numerous times to donate more iPads we've been to all of the hospitals around the country that Ryan spent time and we donate um, iPads in, in like we'll take 30 iPads to uh, Seattle Cancer Care and we take 30 iPads to St. Jude's and we take them in, in bulk like that and then the hospital can use them for cancer patients to check out. So they may have patients that are coming in and they're doing stents of chemo. They'll be in there for a period of hours or days and they can check that iPad out and then check it back in. And we also do individual donations. So anybody who needs an iPad that we hear about, you know, we, we get calls from the clinics here, St. V's and Billings Clinic, a, a, a lot that'll say, hey, we've, we've got a patient that they don't have the resources and they're traveling up from Wyoming or they're traveling down from Canada and they're spending hours in the car with a single parent just to get here and they have no resources and an iPad would be transformational for them. And we can't get to that hospital fast enough to, to give them an iPad, United Love, Apparel, gift cards to buy, you know, iTunes gift cards to buy um, apps and music to put on the iPad. And it's, it's been the most incredible way to redirect energy that is otherwise really difficult to do. It's really difficult to go through that um, and figure out how do you get up the next day with this, this unthinkable burden of losing a son at 26, a brother at 26. These are just, um, but when we see that, that hope, when we see that positive impact, it really makes it, it makes it uh, worth the investment. I am just always in awe of, of you telling that story. And I, I know how hard it is for you and I appreciate you sharing it here today. We're um, very passionate about it. Yeah. And, and my family, when my son was, was receiving a bone marrow transplant, we're um, 
grateful to have the generosity of United Love as well. Thank you. You've been there. Yeah, yeah we've been there. and your sons. Yeah, so I have uh, three kids and um, and a very loving wife who is mostly uh, managing those three kids at, at home, and it's a full-time challenge, that's for sure. And so our kids are two, four, and six. Our youngest is a girl and then two boys. And um, and we love it. You know, we just love um, investing in our family and it's, it's certainly a priority for us. Our oldest son is six years old, and he was born with Down syndrome, and it just, man, it just rocked our world. We, it, it, he showed no typical markers on any of the, any of the scans early on during pregnancy, um, passed all of those checks, and completely surprised us with, um, with that, with that uh, challenge, and we we didn't know how to take it at first. It was a, it, of course, it just brings you to your knees when you're first born, and um, the way we were told by the doctor was, he he came in about five o'clock in the morning on one of his rounds the next day after our son West was born, and his quote was, "There's something wrong with your son. We just don't know what yet. We need to do." blood tests, you'll probably know in three to four days. And how do you, how do you get up from that? You know, where do you, where do you go from there? It just your first child and that's what you hear. And we've, we've really embraced, uh, West and what, you know, you just, you, that's something that I've had people before say, you know, if you would have known during pregnancy, would you have done anything different? And I said, absolutely not. I mean, West is, the light of our life and he brings joy to people that um, you would just never imagine and he I know that he will go on to have an impact in this world that might be different than his brother or his sister but it will be equally important and we we just embrace that fully and so we um, and it's also just made me realize that you know if we can I've become a real um, advocate and very passionate about the special needs community and starting to realize there's such a range of special needs and there's, it's no two kids are the same and it doesn't matter if they're typically developing or they have special needs. It just, everybody has and needs this, um, everybody needs this kind of opportunity, right? And to, to help promote that in, especially in the special needs um, community is so critical and being an advocate for West and for others like West. And um, I just took over the president role of uh, Eagle Mount in Billings and just got on the board and then um, took that position on somehow. And I'm, I'm really passionate about about Eagle Mount and the, the impact that Eagle Mount has. And I've just met so many other kids through Eagle Mount that you realize this is a really big family and it's a very connected group. And there are people you just never would have thought that will come up to me and say, Hey, you know what? Here's, here's the challenge that my son or daughter has. And it, there's just this kind of relief that, Hey, there's somebody else that understands. And I will, I will just continue to, um, embrace West in, in every way. And we'll just, we're so proud of him. And, you know, we just, there's, there's so many things that will come out of that around, um, the compassion it builds in his siblings and realizing that there's a lot of different types of people you're going to meet in this world and you need to know how to be kind, right? Just simply be kind. And that, that alone will literally change the world. I, as you know, I have a, a my son also has special needs and I often think about what his impact on society will be and and it always comes back to that helping people understand that there are there are differences among all of us and we really just have to be kind absolutely I could not agree more with that it's because you just said it (laughs) (laughs) um and I served on the board of Eagle Mount in Bozeman until I moved to Helena a couple months ago 
Um, and that has been an a organization that has changed our lives too. So tell us, tell our listeners what Eagle Mount is. Uh, Eagle Mount is um, an organization that it's actually um, kind of a regional. There's there's um, chapters of it in uh, many of our communities around the state, and it's really about the mission is um, helping helping people embrace life without limits. And I think that's such a great way to say the this kind of all-encompassing um, recreation that, that Eagle Mount is from from swimming to horseback riding. And most people know them for the skiing because it's kind of the most visible program, seeing the, the sit skis on the hill, everybody in the Eagle Mount vests. And um, it's really an organization of incredibly kind, passionate people um, that volunteer. It's primarily a volunteer-driven organization that volunteer their time to help people with a range of challenges embrace life without limits and explore and get the same experiences that you and I can have every day in all these different activities. And to see to see the volunteers come forward and you will not find a volunteer at Eagle Mount that only does it once. They are, you'll often see volunteers that a West ski instructor this year has been volunteering for Eagle Mount for 30 years every weekend the entire ski season and that's how passionate she is she, I, I, she said I can't imagine a better way to spend my time on a Saturday during ski season than helping these kids learn to ski what a what a what a legacy that that woman will leave yeah oh yeah our, our Saturdays are dedicated to skiing every every year with Eagle Mount all right, so this podcast is called Listen First. Tell me what listening means to you. This is a really good and I think an important question. Um, I, th- I think a, a key leadership trait is empathy. And there's no greater um, path to empathy than listening right to, to to truly listen and I, I believe in creating I mean this is this is along the lines that we just were talking about of um, the special needs community creating a voice for everybody and if everyone knows that their voice matters that's going to drive change right that if everybody knows that they are heard and um, if you can truly I think it's a, it's a hard thing to do, but if you're gathering information and you're listening before you're speaking, you're providing kind of the ultimate leadership. Right? If, if those around us know that their voice is going to be heard and it matters, um, it's, it's harder to do, to listen instead of talk, to let others solve the problem instead of be the first to solve it. And I've, I've really watched this come to light when we went through some strategic planning here as a firm and we have over 70 people and it's often tempting I think to know that okay, we we know the answer right like as the leadership team okay we know what we need to do next and instead of that to really focus on where does our entire team see us going where do they see the opportunities and to step back in that process and to listen and to to not talk and to actually be on the outer ring of that circle and say, we want to know where we should go and how we should get there and what opportunities we should leverage and take advantage of, but we're not going to drive this. We want you to drive it. And I watched our entire team kind of come to life that I don't care if you've been here for two weeks, your opinion is equally as important. I want to know what you think, and I, and I very genuinely mean I want to know what you think. And, and we drove our entire strategic vision around that input. And yeah, at some point we, you know, we have to make decisions and we have to, that all, that all is true, but everyone's voice knows that it matters. And I, I really believe that people support that which they help create that they are going to drive for something bigger than themselves when they've been a part of creating it. And that comes back to simply listening to sort of step back and say, what do you think? And, you know, I think that that idea is 
surprisingly simple and remarkably impactful, right? It just mm-hmm. really, um, so I've since watched that, that strategic plan play out with commitment because everybody shaped it. And there were, there were groups formed that people said, I want this and I want to solve that and I want to be a part of this solution because they helped derive it, right? They helped determine that that was something we should focus on. That is, I mean, a remarkable example of organizational listening. Like the whole, the leadership team is listening deeply to all of the employees. They co-create the vision. Like you said, they, they're bought into it. They're committed to it. They're not likely not going to leave, right? That's, you're, you're retaining your, your, your team as well. So kudos to you. share with us a story of incredible impact that you've seen in the last five years, maybe. So a story of incredible impact has, I have um, placed this incredible, like very intentional focus on building leaders within our firm and empowering people to lead like really thinking about this this discussion we were having earlier about leaving a legacy and what that means and how you what what are you investing in and i've made this really intentional shift to investing in the the, the power of leadership and empowering those around me i think that's a very important um, investment and a legacy to if, if I can really inspire and empower those around me to rise up and to, to, to see the absolute best in themselves and to do something they didn't think was possible, that lights me up, right? That is incredibly um, important work. And it's something that I didn't really set out to do. It just naturally kind of happened and I started to see impact. And I have watched I have watched several young people start out here at A&E and they start with this idea that this must be a typical design firm. Everything comes from the top down and it's kind of this, um, all, all design ideas, ideas are going to trickle down and then I'll have an opportunity in 10 years to do that work. And the first thing we do is flip that on its head and make sure people know that that's not how we do business, right? That's not, I actually believe that, that the best ideas and the real innovation comes from youth and energy and um, sort of this um, talent that is, I don't, I really don't care how much experience you have in the industry. I just want good ideas to, to come forward, but they have to be empowered to know that their voice matters, that um, that's okay, right? To bring those. And so I've watched several young people be empowered at a very young age and rise to becoming shareholders in this company that didn't they didn't see it coming and I saw the potential but didn't even really see it going that quickly and the the story there for me was if if you really set the platform for somebody to succeed and you feed it right you empower them and you step back and you let people take those reins it's it's really really Cool to see what happens and but you have to have the you have to have the the strength and the commitment to actually step back to actually let that happen and so i i've watched that happen several different times and it's meant more to me than almost anything else i can do if that's the investment i can make that's the the story that they now have about their rise up that's that's really what it's all about did you have someone in your early career kind of mentor you in the same way? Or, or where does this vision and passion for, for elevating and empowering others come from? I, I did. I had um, two really incredible mentors. Um, they were two of the founding partners of A&E, Jim Boss and Jim Baker. And um, I, I often say that there's been no greater advocate for me than Jim Boss. He's been a, um, 
a lot, or I find out many times that places that I'm not around, he's advocating for me personally. Just and I, I always thought, wow, that's a, um, what a gift, right? What a gift that he's given me to, um, to advocate for me. Just that simple, that simple thing. And he invested, and Jim Baker too invested in me, and they gave me that platform to, and. I didn't ever think about it until now I reflect back on it. At the time, it's just what's happening and you're just, you're, you're working hard and you're climbing and you're trying to figure out what's next and it's so work focused. And then you get to a point where you can actually step back and reflect and realize, wow, that was, that was actually an incredible opportunity that I was given to, um, and you have to rise to the challenge, but somebody has to give you that opportunity. Okay, rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Ready. Your favorite word? Impact. I was going to say, I have one for you. Your favorite sound? West's voice. What brings you joy? My family. Who is your hero? My parents. Fill in the blank. Leadership is? Empowerment. If you could live anywhere, where would you live? Right here. Your proudest accomplishment? Leading A&E. If you could choose to do anything for one day, one whole day, what would it be? I think I would spend it with my family. What book are you reading right now? Um, A book called How You Will Measure Your Life by Clayt Christensen. Sounds like an impact-themed book. It is. Dusty Eaton, Making an Impact in Billings and Beyond. Thank you, Chantel. Thank you so much for being here. Of course. Chantel Schiefer for that outstanding conversation. And as always, thanks to you for listening in. If you enjoy Listen First Montana, please let us know by giving us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're up to it, tell a friend about the show too. If you have feedback, we'd love to hear that too. Please email me, eric, E-R-I-C, at leadershipmontana.org. Our intro song is a rendition of the Montana State Song by Scott Gudger, and our other music is from Blue Dot Sessions. We'll see you in two weeks with our next episode. Until then, thanks for listening to Listen First, Montana.